Welcome to episode 127 of the Daniel Yoris Podcast with today's guest, Dr. Navnarat Nibber. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Dr. Nibber from the AOR Health Team. Dr. Nibber, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Daniel. I'm very excited to talk about this. I think it's really important and I'm just um, happy to share with your audience. Yes, we're here to discuss quite an important topic. Um, maybe one of the more technically involved things uh, that, that I've covered on, on the podcast and, and something that is very important and far-reaching. Um, before we kind of get into that, can we sort of set the table and can you let people know who you are and, and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a naturopathic doctor. My name is Dr. Navnarit Nibber. I work with Advanced Orthomolecular Research, a manufacturer and distributor of nutraceutical products. So we provide supplements uh, both for the end consumer, for retail stores, um, and have a long history in Canada. We've been manufacturing for over 30 years. So we've seen a lot of peaks and valleys in terms of regulation, in terms of uptake and interest. And um, obviously over the last probably 15 to 20, there's been significant development and growing interest. And we really pride ourselves on being a Canadian-based family-owned company that um, that is producing innovative health solutions in um, in really accessible ways. So we try to make sure that supplementation is readily accessible for consumers and very reliable um, because we recognize that there's a huge potential to to improve people's health through supplementation. So I'm a senior medical advisor. I've been working for the company, well, spoiler alert, since <laughs> since forever. Uh, as I mentioned, it's a family company and um, it's really guided and informed how I, how I practice and how I approach chronic disease management and prevention in my own practice. Um, so yeah, yeah, we're we're at this interesting precipice where so many people are taking supplements, and um, there's a lot of um, importance on the industry to make sure that we're maintaining the quality and efficacy of of what's available. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's obvious to most anyone who's like even remotely interested in health that people are taking more supplements now than ever before the awareness of, of their existence and what the different ones are and to some extent brands you know of course they're the regular drugstore you know maybe no name brands and for some products maybe those are okay and for other products maybe not um but there, there's you know you get what you pay for with almost everything and, and especially with supplements as well. And so, you know, trying to do something that is improving your health, it's like, is that really the place you want to be shaving pennies off? I'm not really sure. I would say no, but, you know, to each their own. Um, so it is important to have, you know, good quality companies, people who are, or companies who are doing the due diligence to make sure that their products are of the highest quality. Um, it's always nice to have Canadian products as well. As a Canadian myself, I mean, I was having a discussion with someone this morning, like, asking for recommendations on, it was like a protein supplement. I was like, oh, this is the one that I use, but like, you know, you're American. And so the, the person I was speaking to was American. And I said, well, the shipping would just make this like unreasonably expensive for you. It's like, it's not the product that's expensive now, it's the shipping. And same, there's so many great, you know, US companies that make great products as well. But then when you have to ship it to Canada, plus the duties, plus whatever, it becomes two, three, you know, four times more expensive, including the currency exchange. And so having Canadian 
products as well is is just a money saver where that money is going just towards the product, not towards the shipping and the taxes and the duties and, the, and all the things that are associated with it that don't actually help you. It's just, you know, giving money, spending money for the sake of spending money. Yeah. So anyways, all of that being said, um, we are at what seems like a crossroads here in, in the Canadian supplement industry. Um, I have very intentionally tried to, in preparation for this conversation, um, tried to stay away from reading too much into what's actually going on because I want my, you know, my questioning and my reactions to be sort of raw and, and like the average um, Canadian consumer, which is what I am. So we're talking about Bill C-47 and the Save Our Supplements movement. Can you tell us, we're going to get into the details of it, but briefly, what is this? What does it mean? And, and why do we care about it? Yeah, um, I think you mentioned something earlier, which is the quality piece and and the consumer demand and the consumer expectation for high quality supplements is more important now than probably than you know it's ever been because um, there were almost no barriers to access before, so a lot of products were coming to market that maybe shouldn't have been making it to market, but now. There needs to be a, a clear standard. And in the past, um, Canada has been a leader in regulation and um, and monitoring what products, what supplements make it to market. So, you know, it being Canadian made and manufactured does inherently speak to a certain type of quality. It means that there have been steps that have been taken to make sure that an end user is getting um high quality supplements. We, as I mentioned, have been around for 30 plus years. So we were here before regulations were ever introduced. And then once regulations were introduced, we adopted them. And now they're being amended. So Bill C-47 is simply the ratification of of budget um, expenses. And within that budget was um, motions to adopt cost recovery initiatives around the regulation of natural health products. Um, And what that essentially means is previously the regulations had multiple components to getting a product regulated, and now they're introducing um, additional fees in each of those steps in order to get a, a product license. And it is meant specifically to be cost recovery um, to increase some of that revenue coming back uh, directly from the businesses to to the government to, to ensure from their perspective that the regulation is, is not being, um, I guess, is not causing more of a deficit. The... I guess concern with that, and and why the Save Our Supplements mark uh, campaign is taking off. This was developed by um, the CHFA, so the Canadian Food and Health Association. Um, it recognized pretty early on that what was being proposed did not take into account the reality of the cost of supplement manufacture and how this will then impact end users, because ultimately. Um, what we feel this is going to do is limit the ability of a of the average consumer to be able to access these supplements that that really can have a profound positive benefit to them. Um, 
at the expense of, you know, it's it's not necessarily doing what the government has said it needs to do, which is, you know, improve safety. It's we already had some great mechanisms already in place. <laughs> Um, so really, this is just being seen as as um, a way to charge smaller companies, and that's going to certainly impact our ability to manufacture. Right. So my, again, very basic understanding from the beginning of this was that it was introducing more regulation. But it sounds like, and, and I'll probably ask you for clarification multiple times throughout this, but it sounds like what it's actually doing is not introducing more or new regulation. It's instead just increasing the cost of the existing regulation. So effectively, the, the quality of the output would be the same. It will just be more expensive. Is that correct? Uh, not entirely. So it's actually both. It, so there okay. is a higher cost for each part of the existing regulatory framework. Um, but certainly new pieces will come into play. So something called simple labeling, uh, or plain language labeling will be introduced. And that um, does carry a cost. So it's, it's both of those things. Um, and again, I, I really want to emphasize and reiterate that we as a company, and I think most manufacturers of supplements are not inherently opposed to regulation. Regulation does mean that there is a degree of protection. Um, it It's just, again, those cost um, measures and what's being asked doesn't seem to be aligned with the reality of, it, it doesn't seem to have been um, appropriately consulted with the manufacturers. It just seems like they were put out there based off of models from the pharmaceutical industry. And there is nuance that is being missed that is going to increase our cost of manufacturing significantly. Right. And we can get so, into each of those. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, my understanding has always been that supplement companies have had to go out of their own way um, to have third-party testing and and third-party regulatory oversight, let's say, as a kind of catch-all phrase, um, to ensure that their products are what they say they are. And and maybe this is potentially more of like an American pharmaceutical industry, or not pharmaceutical industry, but supplement industry issue, but like you put stuff in a bottle and it might, what's in the bottle might not actually be what you said is in the bottle type of thing. And and I don't think that that is as bad in, in Canada, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but to go out of your way to have the, the higher end certifications that what you said is in the bottle is in the bottle in the correct doses that you said was in there um, and that the products were made cleanly and, um, and, and, and always tested uh, for that stuff. So having that seems like a good thing. Like I always buy supplements that are from higher quality companies and, and companies that have testing and are transparent and whatnot. So I would, in, in my head, it's like, well, this is a good thing for the companies that are doing well, it's going to make it more expensive for them, but it will weed out all of the crappy companies. And that is probably not necessarily a good thing because everything is going to make every, it's just going to make everything so much more expensive for the short term until the competition has been kind of weeded out and then the good companies will sort of still be there but then the new price is just the new price and that really affects Canadians you know it's getting expensive to to live here as it is all over the world um but as we lean more into kind of natural health it 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 becomes a challenge it really becomes a challenge so i get i guess kind of what what are some of those those nuances that you mentioned that like are 
used in pharmaceutical industry, but not necessarily um, related or, or, or relevant to natural supplements? Yeah, th- that's a great question. So um, I just really quickly want to address the the weeding out of companies that aren't doing their due diligence, um, I think is is a function or, or part of the breakdown as to why we we needed to reevaluate the monitoring of the existing regulation. Because Canada actually is one of the more regulated uh, industries uh, for natural health products. And I would say, you know, maybe 10, 15, even 20 years ago, it did feel very much like the wild, wild west. We were um, kind of left to our own devices. And yes, you as a company, it was um, on your own uh, dime and also whatever your company values, you do that additional testing and transparency. What I think um, the new the regulations for for something called the NHPDID. So this is uh, a natural health product database that ensures that there is a monitoring and there's a barrier to entry of the market. So if you see any products now, they have something called an NPN number. This is a license number. Just the inception of that whole process made it um, it even the playing field somewhat. So we did end up um, ensuring that we were having some standardization in the industry, and and companies now do as it currently stands do have to do. There, there's quite a criteria in order to sell your supplements. So you do have to ensure your facility is of a certain grade and quality. Um, and then, you know, testing and identity potency. Canadians can feel a bit more comfortable knowing that, okay, it, it, it there's certain requirements um, that exist. And actually, Canada has led the way in a lot of those things. The issue always ended up being in the monitoring. And so... Um, the ability to uh, inform and ensure that these regulations were being upheld, that part, I think, was being um, left a little bit to, you know, it wasn't as developed. So you would get certain marketing claims being made that existed outside of what was licensed. Um, And so companies that were very compliant wouldn't be able to say as much and then companies that weren't you know were were making these outrageous claims and that can make it quite difficult so again it was the enforcement and the monitoring that became difficult so we i think we all recognized an issue existed um but this i think what's happening is we're, we're kind of um throwing everything away and restarting instead of trying to fix and and implement um, what already existed. And by throwing everything away, we are starting again, and that incurs a lot of cost. So some of those uh, nuances is when you're manufacturing, there is a cost uh, to get something called uh, CGMP status, so good manufacturing um, status uh, of your facility there and and something called NSF status. If you are manufacturing, you want these certifications to speak to the, 
the fact that your facility is of a high quality, that you are doing these testing, that anytime you're ha handling any biological materials like probiotics, for example, that you have proper processes in place, that it's being stored appropriately because who wants, you know, your, your botanicals being stored in really humid environments where they're prone to, to you know, getting uh, rotten or going rancid or anything. So those already exist if you want to manufacture. And for a company, we have to pay quite a lot, one for the installation of all of these, but then also maintenance every, um, they get, you get audited every two to three years, depending on which one we're looking at. And so there, there is already monitoring. Um, and one of the proposed bills is a site license fee. Um, in this in this budget, so the site license fee adds another cost, and and it's a little bit redundant in that like if you are a GMP facility, you already have to be doing certain things, and it's already being monitored. So what they're saying is we will now charge um, for additional audits. So you're getting audited multiple times uh, with somewhat similar criteria. I mean, maybe there's there's slight nuance and difference, but um, overall, the the core things that speak to equality and safety are ex they exist. So yeah, something like that I think is is a point of frustration because it's there, there doesn't seem to be a valid argument other than it is a cost recovery. A right. point. Of no, no. To so that CGMP labeling or NSF, those are not government entities. Those are private companies. Is that correct, or or is that wrong? Those are. Um, this is a good question. That I um, the the nuance of it is, I I don't know exactly how, but they are regulated. You cannot just get those. They okay. exist, um, and they are. Yeah, that, that's quite a good question. I, I don't know exactly. Because well, my, my head, where my head is going with that is like, if the government is creating their own version of a CGMP uh, certification, then they're going to put the CGMP company out of business because then it's redundant. But if you don't have to, if it's not a government requirement to have that CGMP, then then it would make sense, I guess, for them to kind of like control it. Like just from from their point of view, it would make sense. Like, okay, well, if you're gonna if you're gonna pay these guys, you might as well just pay us, and we're the government, so we make the rules, and so so pay us instead of them, and then that CGMP becomes uh, obsolete, and then it will be whatever the government thing is called, whatever ABC they call it. But right. I, but if that's incorrect, then then it is then it is just completely redundant if both of them, you know, one goes into the left pocket, one goes into the right pocket of the government. <laughs> Oh, I see what you mean. So, so CGMP status is, it is the certification and then you can, um, apply for it from a number of spaces. But ultimately, if you're manufacturing, when you get your business license, you do get a site license from Health Canada. So it is okay. already baked in there. It's just additional fees that are being added to that. So what some of those additional fees look like is, um, you know, if you're doing sterile environment, there's an extra fee. There's an extra fee for the labeling assessment. There's an extra. So it just seems like the breakdown of a lot of those fees, um, it, it, it is coming off as quite excessive. And if we're doing an assessment of how this is going to change our production costs, um, we do see a pretty significant increase um, 
just in our baseline operations. Are you able to talk about how much maybe in like a percentage um, format, like what percentage would this increase cost? And then, you know, there would be some additional percentage on top of that to pass it on to consumers. But how, like how much more expensive are we talking here to manufacturers? Yeah, this is a very good question. And I think because we're still in consultation, there's they we haven't had as much transparency about hard numbers. Um, but another area that we know, you know, will significantly go up is um, in our licenses. So there's a site license if you're a manufacturer. The second fee that's being proposed is something called a right to sell fee. So this would be if if you're a health food store and you want to sell, if we're selling on our website B2C, there's another fee for monitoring um, that didn't exist before. So that adds another cost. And then the third cost is for each license. Right now you can apply for a vitamin D license and your claims um, and there is no cost for that. So there will be a cost associated with that. And the a class three license, so something for like a novel product, like an NMN plus wheat germ, that would now fall into class three. And that's about $60,000 just for that one license. For um, a single product. Yeah, yeah, for the single oh product. So I think uh, you can imagine that that's not going to drive a lot of companies to want to take take on these class three type claims um, from the time perspective, that's actually getting increased. It's going to take longer to get your license. And then it's also going to be very expensive. So unless you know, you can make that back right away, which in a market where, you know, sometimes it there's interest in certain supplements and sometimes it wanes. So it waxes and wanes. Um, I think you're not going to see a lot of innovation there. So going back to your original question of how much, what percent increase, I cannot confidently say um, because until the consultation period is closed, we we wouldn't be able to have um, specific numbers. We're still doing those assessments just based off of like best case, worst case scenario. And I think um, when we have those ideas, we're, we're speaking with our... Uh, representatives on in, within the government and trying to to you know make sure they recognize how much that would be. So unfortunately, I can't give you a specific number, no, but that's fair. Um, we know that you know as a medium sized company, that's going to impact us. Now there was um, some provisions for smaller companies, um, and they they did. Uh, suggest that there would be um, cost mitigation measures for companies that were, um, I believe, under 100 employees and making um, a specific range of revenue, I think under 5 million, between 30,000 and 5 million. And I guess my concern there is that encourages um, (laughs) a lack of growth for companies. So we're kind of saying like, stay small. Whereas we could be encouraging the development and growth of, of Canadian companies, this uh, works against that, that counteracts that. It also just allows, like the first thing that thinks that I think about when you say that is like, well, if you're a bigger company, just split your company up into smaller parts. And like, you know, this division sells these products and this division sells those products. And on paper, they're all separate companies, but then the, the like the bads, and that would be a fine thing, assuming you can get away with that. And, you know, pay the accountant fees and all that for, <laughs> that that comes with that but that's fine but but the, the downside of that would be someone who who is less well-intentioned 
can be a small company and sell a shit product if they're, you know, excuse my language, but they can, they can sell a poor product um, because they're bypassing some of the regulation that the bigger companies have to have to absorb. And so that doesn't really, I think it's either the thing with, for me is like, if this regulation is important, assuming that all of the stuff that they are, are asking uh, companies to do is important, then it's important for everyone. And if it's not important for everyone, then it's important for no one. And that like, that's just a, how rules should work. I don't know that that's like crazy logic, but it doesn't seem to be the way that it's being implemented, which just is so strange to me. Yeah. I mean, I think there, I, I can understand why they would support, you know, we have 230 products or, or SKUs available. So we have quite a large production um, and we own our, our manufacturing facility. We're not doing a third party manufacturing. So perhaps for a company that's only making one product's, um, and that's their only skew, they, they would need some sort of rebate, but you're exactly right. Like we, we need to recognize that what it takes to enforce and to create that high quality of product does need to be standardized across the board. So it's, um, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, why create a rule that is already causing people to think about how to game the system in a way Whereas we could really address the core issue, which again, like I said, we were not blind to the issues of the regulation that existed before. Um, there were frustrations in terms of a lack of research access to to get those really high quality claims because you know we as a company believe in the the benefit of products that we're putting out there. And to be able to speak to those benefits, we need to provide evidence to support that. And to provide that evidence to support that, there needs to be more funding in the research of nutraceuticals. That seems to always be the piece that gets forgotten about um, when they initially created this um, health product directorate. One of the key uh, goals was to also increase the funding for research into these things so that we... because nutraceuticals have often been put on the sidelines of research um, because usually they were, you know, easily accessible. Vitamin C couldn't be put into a form that, you know, pharmaceutical companies that could then use to make billions of dollars off of. So why study it? Whereas now they're realizing, no, there's a lot of benefit to studying this. Um, so sorry, I'm going a little bit on a tangent, no, but perfect. when we're doing these um, changes, we also have to make sure that the infrastructure is available for us to to make better safety and efficacy claims. And that comes from academia. And that's why, again, AOR has supported research since our inception. Since we started this company, we've had to support academia to, to motivate some of that development. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like we need to start um, asking regulatory bodies for um, appropriate oversight and equal monitoring. It seems like it comes back to the monitoring of it, right? Yeah, I mean, this is completely a me statement, but it's like anytime the government gets involved, it's like, hey, I'm going to make this more efficient for everyone. Like... <laughs> Chances are that's not going to be the, the case. It might be well-intentioned, but the, the actual like 
the actual thing being done doesn't usually work out the way that it is made to be uh, worked out. Um, and I think that that's across the board. That's not just with health and, and with supplements. I think that that's, but you know, that's me and my personal opinion. And I think that many Canadians share that whether you say it out loud or not. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the cost side of things, I think just one thing to to kind of reiterate here, and and I know that we can't say a number, and that 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 number is unimportant necessarily, but if we just think a little bit about you know how many different fees that you mentioned and the trickle down of those fees, it's not just you guys who are the manufacturers, but it's also the facilities, it's also the retailers, it's also the the practitioners. Like that is three to four, maybe even five layers of additional costs that are being put on your supplements. Like I don't know what the number might be, the raw number, but like it's not going to be one dollar more expensive. Like that's not what we're talking about here. It's going to be more than I don't know what it is. It might be double. It might be less than that, but it's going to be a lot. So like this is this is something that's important. Another thing that is often criticized with a lot of supplement companies is the funding of their own research. If I create you know Daniel's supplement and then I fund a research study to say that oh my supplement is the greatest supplement that ever existed, well like you can't really trust that because I just paid for those results essentially. And so you know a company like yours, you guys are I'm sure you're very careful about where you spend your money and and where you support because you want to support it and, and help fund that because we do need private money to, to fund those things. But at the same time you can't just front all the money for it because then it, it has a conflict of interest. So you do need, you know, government involvement and, and from other institutions who are saying like, hey, like, let's look at the actual effectiveness of vitamin D. What is the appropriate dosages of vitamin D? What are the indications for treatment, uh, uh, therapeutic use of vitamin D or regular use? What should the daily recommendations be? All of these things. And then you're selling vitamin D on the other end. It's like, it's very hard for you to just like run those studies and say, oh, look, we just made this new supplement that is exactly this thing and these recommendations. Like that's a little fishy and that's why you can't do that. Uh, But, you know, if this money was, if all these fees were directed back into research and stuff, then you might say, okay, well, this is, this is recoverable for us. It will pay us back in the long run. But like, again, chances are, doesn't sound like it's heading in, in that direction, right? Yeah, you're exactly right. And when I mentioned the fact that we, you know, we participate in a lot of research studies, there's ways you can participate as a manufacturer in research studies just by supplying, um, like actually producing the material that they need to use for a study. Um, oftentimes, they these are not then becoming marketable products. They're not products that we um, can sell right away because again, the research takes time to catch up to industry needs. Um, so a lot of it is, uh, we have the ability to support research in multiple ways that do allow for some reduced bias, but you're absolutely right. Ultimately, if you are funding a specific research study, um, that inherently causes bias. So you also want to be supporting research in indirect pathways. And um, I think that actually speaks to an important note of cost recovery. So a lot of these, a lot of these uh, fee structures that are being proposed were being proposed based off of a percentage model or a, um, a baseline of what pharmaceutical companies currently are paying for their licenses or, but they have uh, DIN numbers or drug identification numbers. And so it was like, okay, let's make uh, self-care products somewhat similar based off of that or a percentage of that. And I think the inherent issue with that logic is that we're creating this false equivalency between the therapeutic index of a pharmaceutical and then also the cost recovery. 
once a drug is made and produced, we know exactly how it's being distributed en masse. And for that company that's making the, the drug, there is an immediate cost recovery, a guaranteed cost recovery, right? <laughs> um, right? So in terms of, from a business perspective of making that investment for those initial licenses, you have fairly good uh, recovery. Whereas, whereas there was a, a law that was passed, it was called Vanessa's Law, that inherently states self-care products and natural health products are different inherently, right? And we know that, yes, both are influencing health. And this is not to say that natural products are completely safe in every situation. You know, they need to be used uh, appropriately. And I've always advocated for, you know, conscious supplementation, which means, you know, knowing if it's appropriate for you. But the, the therapeutic window is by and large generally larger and when it's not we're able to speak to that but the fact that you know you can take vitamin c at larger doses and of course anything has a toxicity like if you take too much of anything (laughs) there will be toxicity um but the difference the inherent difference that exists between the types of products and the types of health solutions we're talking about means that uh, companies making supplements will have to take a bit of a bit more of a risk when they're marketing a supplement because you don't know if the market's ready for it. There, there is that bit of um, consumer demand aspect to it. Whereas with a drug, you know, like it's going into pharmaceutical channels, it's going into the pharmacies, and um, and so that cost recovery is a bit easier. So having a model for the fees that is this high based again like that that class three license being sixty thousand dollars isn't going to incentivize many companies to make um you know novel or or unique innovative health solutions we're going to stick to our vitamin d's and our vitamin c's and our magnesiums and you're not going to see a lot of you know, botanical diversity, or uh, I kind of mentioned that we had NMN plus wheat germ. These are ingredients that haven't hadn't been combined, but we know therapeutic. There's a potential there, and we're not saying you know take this blindly. It's take it appropriately. We know that there is inherent. You know, like there's still a lot to be discovered. There's a lot of research to be done, um, but yeah. To, <laughs> I think we're going to block some of that innovation. And if you think about, you know, people 30 years ago didn't always, like they didn't know vitamin D should be a staple for Canadians. Right. <laughs> so um, what is innovative now in 20, 30 years could become the standard and unless, and blocking that innovation uh, from companies can, I think can be quite detrimental, especially when we see emerging markets like South Korea's, you know, really interested in new development of, of nutraceuticals. Europe also with very, very high standards and regulations, but they're even um, encouraging a lot of research and development. So I guess my concern is, is Canada going to be left behind um, from an innovation perspective? And then also we're kind of driving out a lot of Canadian business. So we're going to have to start looking at what other markets are, are able to... Um, 
to support. And yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the economics of anything is always unbelievably important. And that sounds like a very obvious statement to make, but sometimes it's not like we're talking about healthcare and you think that, oh, it's just like people are just trying to help people and they are, but like you can't have a company that's making a product that's selling and shipping across the country and doing all this stuff and not make money. Like it has to make money in order for it to work. And so I think the difference between like a pharmaceutical drug is we can forecast pretty accurately, like X number of Canadians um, get this, you know, X illness per year. And so if this drug, this new drug, Daniel's ABC drug becomes the standard of care for that illness, well, then we know that we will sell slash use that number of drugs per year. So we can spend as much money as we need to in like the, the, the research and development of the drug because we know that automatically on day one of acceptance, now day getting from day zero to, to you know in people's, in doctor's offices, maybe a 10-year process. But when that process is done, you know that you have like this guaranteed money that's coming in because now it's the standard of care versus like no one is being told by their doctor or whatever to take vitamin C, maybe vitamin C and maybe, but you know, maybe that's a strong, maybe. Um, but to, to, to take these things in, in, in certain doses, like there's no guarantee of, of selling these things and especially stuff that is not new. Um, like not the vitamin C's and D's and B's and E's and these things, like all the other stuff that is like really helping people. And like you said, there's not no downside, but the downside is very, very low. Uh, for for most people and of course you should always be educated and you know do your research and talk to people who actually know what they're talking about don't just walk into the store and buy one of everything and say like, oh well let me just see what happens like that's yeah. probably not a good idea but yeah. even if you did that it might not even be like that bad you know what i mean so versus if you just took one of all the drugs like a pharmaceutical drugs that like you'd probably mess yourself up pretty bad if you're just experimenting <laughs> so um yeah. and, it, and it is like we um, want to operate in the space where we are doing what's best for the end consumer and if that is restricting again i don't think i would never say that restrictions are are always bad but it's um it's yeah that cost component to it we're already seeing supply chains start to change um both you know with everything that's been happening in the last 5 years but also uh climate change directly impacts what botanicals you can grow and a lot of plant medicine is changing. Plants are um, growing, you know, very different differently. And when we standardize and extract, it's important for us to be sourcing out sustainable sources so that we're not just taking and harvesting all these plants and then being like, well, I guess, I guess that's all the saffron we have. Um, right. So if you want to do that in an ethical and responsible way, but still recognize that there are thousands of years of, of documented benefits with with something like saffron um, that maybe for whatever socio-political reasons wasn't investigated earlier, wasn't incentivized to investigate earlier. And now we have an opportunity to use these plants and, and for people to have real benefit. Why don't we want to explore that? Um, and a lot of the methods, I think, that are being proposed are short-sighted and will prevent that expansion and growth. Right. And I think especially over the last couple of years where a lot of people just, it's, it's one thing for us to talk about it because we're, you know, 
we're obviously biased, we're in the healthcare field and we're working with people. And so we'd see these things all the time, probably more people that we interact with are knowledgeable or, or even aware of natural health products than the average of the rest of Canada. But it seems to me like, you know, people are asking about things more like, oh, I heard about this supplement. I heard about that. I heard about this. You know, what do you think about these things? And just in general conversation, um, because people have been let down in other ways. They've been searching for solutions to their individual health issues for, for many years and they haven't found it. And they're like, well, I saw, you know, so-and-so on TikTok said this. And I'm like, well, that's not really a trustworthy source. But I mean, you know, some people are like, hey, I saw this on TikTok and then I tried it and it worked. I'm like, okay, well, you know, you rolled the dice there, but it worked. And so like, there's something to look, there's something to look at there rather than all the other stuff you're doing for the past five, six years wasn't working. And now this natural thing that is, quote unquote, alternative medicine that's been used for hundreds or thousands of years is all of a sudden helping you like, wow, what a, what a concept. Um, so it's, so it's really important to, to, to continue to support this. And I think like, I, I don't see how this isn't a good thing for everyone except for maybe the pockets of people in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, one thing I kind of wanted to circle back to before we just, you know, go down a rabbit hole of me bashing uh, the government and, and drug companies is, is um, you mentioned that there were or acknowledge that there are pre-existing um, issues with the regulations from before. Now, the, the new proposed regulations are probably not the ideal. What would you suggest are the actual ideal way to, to progress the regulations so that they're both protecting Canadians and, and the end consumer, but, but also fair to, to businesses? Yes, thank you for asking that because again, um, I'm not one to you know jump on a bandwagon of being really upset, but I think we see that there there is a better way to do this. So the existing regulations have three points, three barriers to entry to ensure quality. We have the barrier of the product with the NPN number. Um, we have uh, some jurisdiction and and review of sites again with those certifications um, and then there is a monitoring process that does exist but is not particularly robust so from the existing framework i think certainly adding it would be beneficial to add more resources to the um the the monitoring as i mentioned so what that I think ideally could look like is ensuring that no one um, that in terms of advertising claims, there can absolutely be penalties um, when it, it steps outside of, of the license claim. And again, there have been times I think when any company, if, if you look at any company sometimes uh, speaks to, to a claim um, that extends beyond that, the actual benefit, um, and to avoid that, uh, having more mon- having more support and funding to the research, so that the claims that we make are are more accurate and uh, representative. Um, so, yeah, two things is better funding for the research into these nutraceuticals, which is part of the directorate originally, um, and then the second part would be um, additional monitoring, and then. Certainly, if fees need to be introduced, because, you know, there has to be a job, there has to be someone who is doing that monitoring, um, not necessarily basing that off of pharmaceutical fee schedules, rather, um, you know, trying to do like a more cost efficient 
um, strategy for how we're monitoring and particularly, you know, with AI and with there, there's software and opportunities that can, um, more efficiently scour what companies are saying about these. So we're able to, to monitor and identify who is outside of scope and who is within. Um, so that I think could really help address just the baseline issues that existed. Um, and then they did provide, um, you know, so clean labeling techniques is all good and or, or the simple language labeling. I think there's there's a very strong argument to, you know, if if people aren't understanding the labels that they're reading, uh, sh sure, that does need some review. Um, so again, not really opposed to that, but um, being cognizant of packaging <laughs> restrictions and our ability now to use, you know, things like QR codes are more commonplace. So allowing for people to, I guess the concern with simple labeling is we're going to end up with these labels for products that are like three rolls long. So you're going to have to, you know, peel back label and peel back label and peel back label. And it's just, it can get very cumbersome. And I, I don't know if that's, um, like the most realistic. So whatever solution that I think we could utilize technology in a more efficient way. And I, I don't think I have the exact right answer for uh, clean labeling, but certainly I think better than just put more information on label. Right. <laughs> more information is not always better for people. If people don't know what they're reading in scientific language, putting more words in plain language doesn't necessarily help. Like who's going to sit there and read all the things? Like no one's going to do that realistically. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, uh, you know, calories on the menu at a fast food restaurant. Like no one's checking that, but like legally they have to be able to like uh, supply it. So having a QR code on the label would be great. And it takes you to a web page with all of the stuff if you want to read it. But like I would I would guess like 99% of people will never read that stuff. And, and you know, to each their own, and do, do your own thing. I think the claims thing is a really important one, though. But again, you know, it has to be it has to be carried out. And like if there's a penalty, then the penalty has to be enforced. You know, like if, if they're going to say like, hey, it's a $100,000 fine for an outrageous claim and then you make an outrageous claim and you don't get fined. Well, then now the there's no penalty for that and you can make whatever claims that you want because that's the way that the rule is being enforced, right? Rules are only as strong as they are when they're enforced. If not, then they don't exist. Yes. Um, and I think that that hurts everyone, right? If Daniel's supplement company says, hey, my vitamin C cures cancer. It's like, well, that's ridiculous. But I, but by me doing that and by that product selling well or getting attention, it downgrades the entire industry because now it's like, oh, those natural health, you know, woo-woo people are, are making crazy claims again. And it's like, well, that's not right. And I should be penalized. If that was my company, I should be penalized heavily for that. Um, now that's maybe more an extreme case, but like we can, you know, you can downgrade that to whatever something that is really happening. And maybe that is even happening. I don't know. No, yeah, um, it kind of is. And well, uh, so I would tell on that, like <laughs> it's, it's, um, yeah, these outrageous claims. So monitoring for if people are doing that and then yes, equal, th there should be penalty, but being very clear and specific in the language of what is an outrageous claim, because right. um, sometimes in the past we've talked about just, this is the research being done in vitamin C has been, there's been some research being done in cancer cells and it yeah. speaks more to the importance, but you know, you see those two words and then 
And then it's almost like an accidental claim was made um, because, again, the language around what is appropriate and what is not is still also being developed. So I would say, you know, as an industry, there's still a lot of growth that we can do. There's still a lot of opportunity there. And because science is so dynamic and things are changing, you know, vitamin C for cancer before would have been, you know, no one would have talked about that. But now, yes, there is emerging evidence. And I think when people are making the decisions, uh, they're, they're purchasing decisions, they can they can know that that is happening, but still understand what is appropriate for them from the bottle that they're taking. Like, what can this do? Um, so, yeah. I, and I don't know if there is a clear answer for, for that. But when we're talking about enforcement of marketing materials, much clearer language and that lack of ambiguity because it, again i hope to think that all the colleagues in our industry no one is actively trying to manipulate but how we speak to certain things can sometimes um come off as sensationalist and so that does yeah that i think that's reasonable to ask from a public health perspective that that be addressed um but still leave room for the fact that we a lot of these we don't fully know. We don't know the potential benefits and we don't always know the the adverse effects, but we and that is why it's inherently different from a drug, right? It's like right. it's inherently different because we're still learning about it. And so when we offer these as supplements to individuals, it is with that caveat in mind of take this, you can take this, and it may help you, but it may not, not every supplement fits every individual. Right, right. And I think that's where the specificity of language, which is something that I'm, I'm big on in, in, in writing and in, in podcasting, I do my best and, and just in, in every day, it's like the specificity of the language matters. If to say that X cures, you know, whatever disease is maybe incorrect, but to say that it supports the healing of so-and-so disease is not incorrect. Now, to what degree it supports it is is highly ambiguous and and this is where you know you need to speak to someone who knows what you're talking about and how much you should take the difference between a therapeutic dose versus a maintenance dose and all of these type of things one thing that i've heard and doesn't from what everything you've told me doesn't sound like this is true but i heard a rumor that this was also part, part of this bill was moving towards needing or requiring prescriptions for some of these uh products is that is there any truth to that at all because that seems like it would be like I got to go to my doctor to get a prescription for vitamin D. I had to beg the guy for three years to give me a blood test for vitamin D. I don't want to have to go there every day to get regular supplements. Is that yeah. true at all? Um, so not directly. Um, I think what the concern is, is that this opens the door for that. Hmm. Um, and the reason it does so is because they're stratifying the um, benefits. Like I mentioned, there's class one, two, three, um, and they're going to start stratifying each type of supplement depending on its potential benefit or risk which again isn't isn't the worst thing to happen because from a public health perspective you are actually like a vitamin d works really different than let's say a licorice root extract which you know if taken inappropriately a licorice root extract can change people's blood pressure and things like that so um kind of answering that question they're stratifying it and maybe a higher risk category um could eventually require 
um, oversight by a, by a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Uh, that I think maybe is premature. And um, but yeah, certain things like hopefully you know your your basic vitamin B vitamins, your vitamin D um, won't fall into that. But as we know, there is such thing as vitamin D toxicity. It's just it's still about there has to be public education. There has to be education of healthcare practitioners um, who to be able to to make those recommendations. But um, yeah. yeah, that I would say you know it's something we should we should be cognizant of and monitor that there is potential risk for, um, but it's not specifically stated. Right. Okay. That is very good to hear because it's one of those things where it's like I'm sure it would be fine if that were the case if all of this was carried out flawlessly and that's i don't have faith that <laughs> that it would be carried out flawlessly or, or or perfectly efficiently and and even with like the dosage of some things like one of the things that is um readily available and like legal in the united states is vitamin d supplements uh, at a dosage of 10,000 ius per capsule and i and that's illegal in canada you can't you can't get that i think only by prescription possibly but it, like you can't just walk into a a drugstore and buy that and so to say that oh you know 400 ius is the only dosage that you can take of vitamin d and if you take more than that then vitamin d toxicity becomes a thing and the fact that vitamin d toxicity is even a a phrase that maybe people are familiar with but no one's ever talked about Advil toxicity or, you know, such and such other uh, pharmaceutical drug toxicity. Like we hear about overdoses, but we don't hear about toxicity. Like the chances of you overdosing on vitamin D are not zero, but they're very low. And so the fact that this kind of like fear mongering has happened around these things is very strange to me when it's perfectly legal in our neighbors right next door. And it's like, you can walk in there and take it and like, you're fine. And there are plenty of anecdotal stories. I would say myself included in that we're taking very high levels of vitamin D and it's can be great. It can be bad, but it, you know, it depends on the individual, right? And so understanding this, it takes a little bit more knowledge and, and, and insight and uh, education and effort on the level of the, the consumer or the patient. But to just downright say like, this is, this is bad, or this should be something you should be scared of um, is not good. So I think, I mean, again, coming back full circle is that having some more oversight into these things would be good, except I just don't trust that the the actual uh, execution of this plan would be would be ideal or beneficial for most people. Yeah, and I think you know ultimately the access points for for the average Canadian, let's say you know you do find out you have a vitamin D deficiency. Okay, you should be able to then readily access the the solution for that and if right. and it is as simple as you know a, a vitamin d supplement and then be very aware of what a toxicity could look like so you can start avoiding it but um yeah there's regulation plays it it walks that very fine line between assuming that your consumer knows nothing and and really regulating for the most vulnerable populations which i'm not against but Consumers do have access to um, information and consumers do have the opportunity to not purchase. And And I think if there's more language and more support around helping consumers make appropriate decisions, which does require us to be able to speak about things. I think even now I'm like, I'm hesitant about what words I'm using yeah. because 
because again, regulation matters because your language matters and you, you don't want to overstep claims, but you also still need to be able to speak to a potential benefit, which sounds like a non-answer answer, but it is, it's like everything needs to be balanced a little. And with what's being proposed, I think we're shifting the balance so that it's uh, somewhat strangling our ability to make these accessible, make these these supplements accessible, and um, to develop the industry as a whole further. And what that leads the you know it kind of makes space for companies, the smaller or medium sized companies being. Um, bought out as as like pharmaceutical divisions or you know and again I don't want to jump to that we don't know where we're, where it's gonna go but um, I think we need that that transparency about how it can be so people participating in the consultation process right now um, I think is very important like the the public participating in that and also talking to your um, members of parliament to see, you know, if it's actually going to end up benefiting you, like your representatives should be able to articulate that to, um, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, another, another gap that th- this whole thing seems to create is that there wouldn't be a way to regulate supplement company, like for Canadian government to regulate supplement companies from other countries. So I can still buy U.S. products online, and those can still come in. And then the other thing, unless that's unless that would those would be subject to like Canadian regulations, would that is that true? Well, yeah. So to be able to sell in the, the market, you have to comply with the regulations of that market. Um, but okay. as you mentioned, there are there are now ways with you know ordering that, like it's becoming more and more easy yeah. to. Yeah to sell cross-border without those regulations. So are we now making our our population a bit more vulnerable to, yeah, to other, to purchase? Right, and, 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 and even beyond that is that there's no regulation of, I mean, not no regulation, we're moving in this direction, but there's very little regulation of what people say on the internet. So it's one thing for, for you who has an actual degree with an actual college and actual you know rules to, to be upheld and standards to be upheld by. It's another thing for XYZ influencer on the internet to go and make crazy claims about whatever they want. And no one can say anything because like, what are you going to take their license away? Like they don't have a license to be taken away. They just have an Instagram account. Mm-hmm. And so there's no, there's no regulation of that. So by regulating, so by over-regulating the people who are in theory, more educated and all this stuff and, and under and, you know, letting the people who are louder just kind of get even louder than they already are, that opens the door to, to even more uh, misinformation and in, improper guidance of people. Because when you're speaking to a million people on your TikTok account, you know, there's no individual nuance or individual advice on that. And so then if you say, oh, well, so-and-so on TikTok, uh, you know, said this, this, and that, and then you go to your, your naturopath and say, oh, I saw this. They're like, well, that's not right. And now you're at this crossroads because now they can go buy that product somewhere else and disregard what you, the naturopath, the educated person said on this, but they're still going to buy it and get it. And so this is where like, you know, over-regulation of the people who are actually educated can can lead to some other issues because the reality of the world is that other people have voices too, not just those who are quote unquote qualified, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like you 
to put that so well. <laughs> you know, we can't always yeah. say that, but it, yeah, you feel sometimes when your hands are. I can deep. I can say it though because I don't have a college <laughs> or regulations to no one, no <laughs> no one can yeah. no one can take anything away from me, no. so I can so I can say. It. <laughs> yeah, you sometimes just want to be like, no, this is you know everything a balanced approach to everything, um, and and not jumping to like everything will cure this one person said this will cure me. And so it will absolutely work. Um, and of course I, I wish that we would be able to provide our, you know, as a naturopath, that these services can be accessible to everyone. And, um, I don't want someone to, you know, not take the right supplement that could really help them because they can't get in to see an appointment. So yeah, there needs to be more of that education, you know, more of that public health education, about supplementation, which we're seeing definitely has increased since COVID. Absolutely. Like I've seen more and more people talking just vitamin D on its own, <laughs> you know, like people actually yeah. recognize the importance. So, um, yeah, the, certainly a lot to, uh, improve on, but I hope that we're not just throwing the existing regulations, which weren't necessarily bad. They addressed the things they needed to address, um, that we're not just uh, putting additional red tape that is now going to actually hinder business and hinder access and um, ultimately burn out our industry because right. Canada was, you know, growing in this area. Um, and I think we'll see in terms of trends in, throughout the world, you know, you mentioned like the FDA is, it's a strange it's a strange beast how it how it is in the states with with supplements because there's both um you're allowed to say everything and you're allowed to say nothing <laughs> <laughs> so um when we had our our operations when we have our operations in uh the states i think a lot of um consumers there appreciate that it's a canadian company because they know that there was at least a barrier, you know, there were things we had to do to ensure the safety and quality here so that they can take it there. Um, but yeah, there are some, they, they have higher monitoring, I guess, but they don't have any barrier to act, to enter the market. So yeah, you can kind of market whatever you want, but then if you get caught, you know, you don't really get, they don't have a right. re review process. So, um, yeah, very different market, very different um, access point, but regulation isn't bad. Overregulation, as you mentioned, it it can stifle the wrong people, yes, <laughs> the ones who yeah. are actually trying to do well by it, um, and and who do follow a code, mm -hmm. a, an existing code of ethics and um, practices. So, yeah, the good the good people are self regulating themselves, and if everyone was a good person. We wouldn't need good, we wouldn't need regulation. We wouldn't need, if we extrapolate this like bigger, if everyone was like a perfectly good, you know, well-meaning human being, we wouldn't even need laws because everyone would just act in like the collective best interest. And like that, you know, obviously doesn't happen because people will exploit laws and people will do whatever they want with, with in the absence of them. So, you know, regulation is for the, for the bad players and, and it impacts the, the good players negatively to, to an extent. Uh, but, it, you know, it can, it can also be positive in that it, it weeds out the, the bad players as well. Um, but, you know, this is why I, and I really want to have this conversation with you just to kind of get this information out there and make more people aware of it, myself included. Um, 
just so that we know kind of what's coming down the pipeline and, and what we can do about it. It doesn't sound like there's a ton that we can really do, like, you know, talk to your local MP. But other than that, what what can the rest of us who are not involved in this uh, business, what can we do to, to help out with this? Yeah, no, you can absolutely um, participate. There is a public consultation that is happening until August 10th. It was originally Jan- uh, July 26th. That has now been moved to August 10th. Um, and if you head over to the AOR website, does have a, a landing page with links to all of these. Um, but ultimately, you just um, provide your feedback and it will be taken into consideration. And anytime you are in a consultation phase, it's an important time for um for the public to, it's like our opportunity to make our voices heard. Um, we as a company are already um, participating in that. Like I said, I think the CHFA is doing a great job with the Save Our Supplements campaign. They've started making sure that they're speaking to, um, you know, the right policymakers. Um, so supporting that uh, is, again, done through the letter writing campaign. Uh, there's a lot of resources there. And then talking to your healthcare practitioners, because I think it needs to be a multi-individual approach. It needs to be coming from not just industry, because as you said, like <laughs> we have the the most impact mm-hmm. will, will happen to us. But, right. um, you know, healthcare practitioners, it can change how they practice and what they recommend and uh, certain therapeutic decisions they're making. And then, um, and then yeah, I think just being aware that this may start changing your ability to access supplements. If we can make our, our voices heard early enough in the consultation period, they, you know, we, we see these things change all the time. So. Right. Good to know. I will, I'll include the links to that in the show notes. I'll I'll grab the links from you after finish recording um, and, and put them in the show notes so that anyone who's interested in supporting and helping out make your voice heard on this, on this topic, um, you can click right there, message your local MPs and, and just, you know, do your part to, to, to make this the best for, for yourself and, and for most, uh, the rest of Canadians, I think, you know, overall, it's not just the companies. It's again, that trickle down effect. It's going to be a lot for a lot of us. Um, so, so thank you very much for that. Was there anything else that you wanted to discuss in, in regards to this? Is there anything that we missed that you felt was an important um, piece to let people know about? Um, no, I just want to reiterate, you know, I think we feel strongly that there there's an opportunity to, to revitalize and improve what we currently have. Um, and as a Canadian company, we want the Canadian natural product industry to be seen and regarded as one of the best as it currently is. And we don't necessarily want that to fall by the wayside and, you know, participating in research and having, um, supporting that research funding in, in multiple ways, however we can, is going to help us understand how to use these supplements better. Um, and, and give access to the people who deserve it. So um, we don't want supplements to be inaccessible. We don't want them to be so cost prohibitive that people cannot use them in their daily life. Um, And we want, we want Canadian business to thrive. So um, we're, we're quite strong. We feel very strongly about this um, and we'll continue to advocate for, for those core values, you know, whatever way this regulation goes, we'll continue to kind of uphold that, um, those core values, whether it means 
making some changes uh, remains to be seen. But we, I think we're still very committed to making sure that at the end of the day, supplements are safe and effective for, for Canadians. Right. No, thank you guys for, for leading the charge on this and, and for taking the time to, to talk today. And I know that um, we didn't really, we're running out of time and I don't want to take too much of your time, but switching gears just quickly, if there are any, just AOR being a leader in, in Canada and in the supplement industry, without going into too much detail, because this is a whole other podcast in and of itself, but what are, are there any products that you guys are coming out with new, like things that people should be kind of on the lookout, things that you're seeing just kind of trending in the social media online world that people are maybe talking about or, or that, that are being talked about incorrectly, like products, not mm. principles. Um, is there any, are, any, are there any products that you want to kind of discuss about <laughs> in regards to what, what AOR is coming up with? I know that that's like a big, huge question, yeah. but like, is there anything you want to talk about for the last few minutes here? Yeah, I think, um, thank you for, for allowing for that discussion. I think there's a, a lot that, there's a lot of new exciting evidence in terms of how we can, how cellular health impacts our overall health and how that plays into chronic disease. So I'm sure you'll see more and more people talking about things like NMN, um, uh, polyamines like spermidine, uh, which actually is derived from wheat germ. These are things, uh, sorry, CoQ10, carnitine. They all impact those powerhouses of the cells, so mitochondrial function. And I think what's so exciting in the research is we're, we're shifting, um, kind of from like a disease approach. I think in the past it was lots of anti, just antioxidant, antioxidant, antioxidant. And now we're also supporting, you know, the, the, function and structure of each part of the cell um and that's that's really cool and exciting so that gets to be seen a lot with um you know it's got like widespread benefits um postbiotics you know we've talked so much about probiotics postbiotics are a really exciting area of research that's coming up and um, again, some of these are really in their infancy. They're, the research is in its infancy, but we know that the risk of, uh, of you know, having a product is quite low because, you know, it's, it's just like a dead bacteria. It's like the cell wall of a bacteria. So it's heat treated and um, that can have positive impacts on we're seeing on gut health. Um, so, yeah, I think we're at such an exciting time from a research perspective that I would hate to see momentum kind of be dragged down with mm. from, from the regulatory perspective. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's every year we see a new batch of people recognizing the connection between your gut health and your brain health. And as, um, yes we normalize talking about mood disorders and anxiety and depression. Those simple changes to our gut can really make such profound difference. And that's such a source of pride because you can, you can really impact someone's quality of life with such simple things. I'm also very excited about how we prepare and use botanical medicines. Um, you know, things like saffron I've already mentioned is, has been has a long history of traditional use, but now you know science is kind of catching up with how to actually use that um, in and what its therapeutic index is. 
how to sustainably extract it and, and source it. So yeah, I could go on and on like yeah. I said, uh, for hours about this, but um, ultimately I think with, um, you know, with COVID we did start to look at how do we, how do we make this more holistic? How do we take approaches to our health and look at the bigger picture instead of just trying to deal with the solution in a singular way or in a, um, yeah, like how do we, how do we expand our knowledge of this and how, what, what is available to us? And I think, um, researchers are starting to do a really great job of that. Yeah, no. And I, and I'm happy that things are going in that way as well. I think that anyone who's involved in this field is happy that that is the way because, you know, it's going to prevent, it's just going to improve the health of the, the population overall. And, and it's more on the preventative side, which we've been, you know, banging the drum for years now. Like we've got to be, you know, prevention, not, not uh, reactionary, but that's a very difficult thing to do when people are, are uneducated um, about this and don't have the, the proper products and, and knowledge available to them to actually prevent things <laughs> from happening. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, so I'm grateful to people like yourself and, and companies like AOR for, for leading the way and kind of spearheading these type of things. Um, because, you know, someone has to, someone has to do that and the rest of us can just kind of, you know, parrot and, uh, and, and, and repeat and, and spread the message in, in our own way. Um, but, but someone's got to be really on the, on the, on the cutting edge of that. So, um, I thank you for that. Um, where can people besides their, healthcare primary healthcare practitioner or their naturopath or, or, you know, whoever, where can people go to like find out more information about what's, you know, new and up and coming and just general kind of supplement knowledge. Is there a resource that you point them to the AOR website perhaps? Yeah. Yeah. So AOR.ca um, in Canada and AORhealth.com in the States. Um, AOR.ca, we try to engage our our community with uh, lots of magazines that are available, um, lots of uh, deep dive into the industry as a whole. You know, what what does it take to, what are the different forms of magnesium? What do they mean? Um, which I know magnesium is, is a hot button topic right now. Um, so yeah, there's lots of resources and materials on there. Um, and I think we have this beautiful opportunity with social media, with podcasts in that um, yeah, we're able to learn so much from each other. So I appreciate you um, providing the space. And um, I think, yeah, the more knowledgeable we can, or the more empowered we feel about our healthcare decisions, the better questions we can ask, the better um, we can push our regulators to, to make it make sense for us. And then our healthcare practitioners, we can really advocate for our health there. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciated this time uh, and I apologize if I, I went on my soapbox a little too, too much, but now no. is, now is the time to act, right? This, this is the time and, and, and you didn't at all. Uh, you're, you're great. So I thank you for, for, for your time as well. Um, and, and you're just, just a great, great final message there. So I will put the links to the AOR websites, you know, Canada and the U S in the, in the show notes, um, as, as well as the, um, the, the link to get involved with the save our supplements campaign, um, just to, you know, say your piece and, and stand up for yourself and, and for your fellow Canadians. 
Um, Dr. Nibber, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing with us. Um, I'll put everything in the show notes again. Um, give this podcast a share because this is one that people need to hear about. Canadians especially, maybe Americans maybe a little bit less so, but like my, my Canadian audience, which is most of you, um, share this with your people because this matters a lot. It's, it seems like something that may not affect you until it affects you and you go and buy vitamin D and it's five times more expensive in the store. So if, if you don't want that to happen, you know this is something that matters to you. So share this podcast with a friend or with someone who uh, you know needs to hear it, all that good stuff. Like, share, subscribe on all the, all the platforms helps this thing grow. And uh, I'm gonna get out to more people. Give me a follow as well on Instagram if, if you're new here uh, at Daniel Yoris. Um, and that's that. Thank you very much, everybody. I appreciate each and every one of you. Go outside, be a good person. Chat soon.